Welcome to Teaching La Vida Loca, a podcast for world language teachers seeking inspiration, unapologetic authenticity, and guidance in centering joy and facilitating language acquisition for the people who matter most, our students. I'm your host, Annabelle, most people call me La Maestra Loca, and I'm an educator just like you, and inspiring teachers is what I do. Welcome to episode 24 of Teaching La Vida Loca. I'm so glad you're here with me today or this evening or tonight, whenever you're listening from your car, from your bed, from your kitchen, from your garden. I'm so excited that you're here. Shout out to Maureen for sending me a selfie of her listening to this podcast in her garden, picking butternut squash looked delicious. Thank you for continuing to support me and listen to this podcast. I'm so grateful for you. If it has been helpful, please go and leave a review wherever you listen. It helps me be more noticeable and hopefully more impactful for teachers like you and the students that y'all are teaching. I'm so grateful um, for you and thank you and I'm grateful, and thanks. Okay, okay, okay. Let's go on with this part three. Um, So the final piece to this three-part episode I've done on creating a culture of risk-taking in your classroom. I hope that you've enjoyed the first two. To give a quick recap, um, in case you didn't listen to the first two, you should definitely go back and do that. But quick recap, um, just to give you a a reminder of what was included in the first um, two parts of this series. The first part talked all about praise, as well as silent communicators, ways students can start communicating before they're ready to actually start speaking. Praise, silent communicators, and rejoinders. Part two was all about not correcting our students anymore. Oh, gasp. She said it. I did. And now part three, I hope, ties it all together for you. Part three is really the final piece to building and creating a culture of risk-taking. And it's equipping your students with what they need to be successful communicators outside of your classroom. Y'all, I want to pose this question to you. What is your goal for the students in your classroom? What is your goal? What do you want your students to be able to do when they leave your classroom? My goal is to create successful and confident communicators in Spanish. That's what I want. I want my students to leave my room and to be able to confidently take those risks and speak in Spanish and communicate with individuals from here or all around the world and be able to do it staying in Spanish. That's what that's what I want to do for my students. That's what I want to gift them with is that confidence to communicate and to be like, culturally competent too, obviously, but that is my goal. So if that is my goal, I think it is essential that I'm equipping them with the tools they need to stay in the target language and to not pause and look something up real quick in their phone or say, hey Siri, hey Google, como se dice, da 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 da, como dit-on, 
right? Like, how do you say? No. I don't want them to have to take the time to do that. I want them to have the tools they need to be able to circumvent the language that they don't know with language that they do know. And that whole idea is circumlocution. If you've been following me for a while, you know that I am a big fan of circumlocutio, of circumlocution. I am obsessed. The definition of circumlocution is an evasion of speech or using an unnecessarily large number of words to communicate about something simple. And I would argue that it's not an unnecessary large number. It's a very necessary large number of words to communicate about one thing that you can't say. Children are expert circumlocutors. And I'm talking about young kids, right? One of my favorite memories um, of Isla circumlocuting was when she was three. Isla is now almost nine, which is just bananas to think about. How does time fly so fast? But when she was three years old, she came home for the weekend. Um, we have 50-50 custody of Isla with her mom. And she was trying to tell us that she wanted a sound soother. But she didn't know the words for sound soother. She didn't know what it was called. And so she said, at that, that's what she calls me, at that, can we get one of those things? And I was like, what thing, sweetheart? You know, one of those white things. And I'm like, one of those white things? What, what white thing? You know, one of those white things that makes noise. One of those white things that make noise. Can you tell me a little bit more about, oh, at that. It's one of those things that has a thing and you put it in the wall and you use it when you need to go to seep. And I was like, oh, a clock? No, at that. Oh, you plug it in and it goes shh and it helps you go to sleep. I said, oh, a sound soother? She goes, that's what I've been saying. Because in her mind, yes, obviously a sound soother. I have just circumlocuted for five minutes to get you to understand what I'm saying. But they are expert communicators. They are expert circumlocutors because they know there is no other way. They have to be make sense. They have to communicate with you. And the only way to do that is to continue using language that they do know to communicate about something that they cannot say about a word or a phrase that they do not yet have, right? That they've not yet acquired. So that is key. And it's the last piece that's essential to setting your students up for success outside of your classroom. Building a culture of risk-taking while simultaneously building a culture of circumlocution, where students have what they need to be able to circumlocute and communicate about things that they cannot yet say, things that they have not yet acquired. So I have a very maestra loca way of teaching this, um, as you've probably already guessed, and it starts with a unicorn. (laughs) Go figure. I literally have a little unicorn that I pull out of my pocket, 
And um, I do this when we're mm, a good 10 to 12 weeks into the year. And somebody says, Maestra, como se dice? Mid-sentence. They're mid-sentence and they're like, Mi animal favorito es, uh, Maestra, como se dice? Bear. And I go, mm, no. In my head. These kids have the language that they need to communicate about bear without saying bear. So I take the opportunity, I pull out a little unicorn out of my pocket, and I say, Unicornio, ¿cómo se dice bear en español? And I say, Clase, I'm not going to be a unicorn in your pocket for the rest of your life. I won't always be there when you need a word. I won't always be there when you need just some tiny little thing to complete a sentence or complete a thought. What will be there is your brain and the language that you've already acquired. So what we need to do is start practicing using all of the language we have to communicate about that one or two words that we don't know how to say to complete our thought. So our friend Avery has just asked, ¿Cómo se dice bear? Let's all close our eyes. And this closing your eyes part is really important. Let's all close our eyes. And then you just wait. You wait until you have 100%. Waiting on seven people to close their eyes. Waiting on three people to close their eyes. Waiting on one person to close their eyes. If they still don't do it, you say, Ethan, our eyes are closed. All right. Classe, I want you to think of bears. What language do you already have in Spanish? that can help you communicate that your favorite animal is a bear without saying bear in English? What could you do? When you have an idea, silently put your hand up so that nobody around you can hear that you put your hand up. Take your time. How can you say bear? And I want you right now, the listener, this educator listening to this podcast, think about it. How could you say bear as a novice student without saying bear? Okay, then I say put your hands down silently, raise your hand if you'd like to share, and I, ha I call on a few of the hands that I already saw up, and I call specifically on a student who is a barometer student, a low student, I call on a middle range student, and I call on a high student. I usually go in this order, middle, low, high, and my middle student might say, I'm giving you a real example. This has happened three times in my career. Once was my first year teaching. Um, once was five years ago when I was at, I guess it was five. Maybe it was six years ago when I was at St. Martin's. And um, one was last year at Bricolage. Um, literally the word bear, which I love every time that it comes up because it's such a great one to hear their variations. First student um, I called on was mid-range and they said es un animal grande café y negro y dice ah I was like oh that's so good huge high fives huge praise yay 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 love it love it love it awesome called on my lowest student lowest student goes Rah! gets them makes themselves really big <laughs> <laughs> gestures makes it look like they're a bear with giant bear claws huge they say Rah! and then they go <laughs> literally looks like they're sleeping i thought it was brilliant i praise 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 
called on another student who was between middle range and low, and they said, Animal uh, Winnie the Pooh. And I was like, oh my gosh, so good. That's so brilliant. Animal Winnie the Pooh, that's so good. You're, Winnie the Pooh is a bear. That's brilliant. And then the last person I called on was a high student. I ended up cutting them off and just praise, praise, praise. Because, of course, she goes, Es un animal grande que vive en Alaska y uh, come mucho pez y, um, wait, pescado y um, se duerme en... And I'm like, okay, muy bien, excelente, because she would have gone on forever. But perfect example of, wow, I really don't know how to say bear, but I can, I have a lot of language that I can use to communicate about and get the message across without saying it. Even if that is making my body really big, gesturing and growling. That is communicating. Like it or not, that is circumlocution. So praise, 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 praise. High fives all around. And I think it's now time for a brain break. Okay, so this brain break is the high fives brain break, and it's one that I literally haven't done in years, and I've only now started reintroducing to my students. Because of COVID, I just stopped doing it for a while. But the high fives brain break, the idea behind it is giving a second for kids to go around the room and high five each other. Just that positive connection, right? So when I first start this brain break, I might say, go and high five everybody with the same birth month as you. Go and high five everybody who loves the same color as you. Go and high five anybody who is wearing the same color shoes as you. Go and high five anybody who likes exact same chocolate as you. Go and high five anybody who you could do anything. Like the possibilities are endless. That's how I first introduced the brain break. Um, later, to make it more novel, you could say, high five eight people and sit back down. High five six people that you haven't talked to yet today and then sit down. Quick, they're very much like brain bursts, just really fast brain breaks. Um, I'll link my blog on brain bursts as well. I have a blog on high fives and a blog on brain bursts. I'll link both of them. But they're just really, really quick ways to uh, get kids to connect with each other, build community, and have that break in the rigor. Later in the year, once you've built a really solid community of respect and risk-taking and all those things, you can add in a compliment. So instead of just high-fiving, you can say, High five three people and don't forget the compliment. And kids go around and say, hey, I really liked that you took a risk and you uh, spoke in Spanish today about um, your baseball game. Hey, I really liked that you were able to answer that math problem earlier today. Um, it really helped me out. Hey, I really love when you share details about your culture with class because I learned so much about it. It's just a really quick compliment. I try to encourage people to stay away from like looks, like just the outside stuff, but that's okay too if they do. But encourage them to recognize things that students are doing that are a big deal. That's really, really awesome. I like that you're always kind to other people. I love that you always go to hold the door for our class, those sorts of things. So it gives them an opportunity to connect with others, but they're immediately feeling the satisfaction and um, 
pleasure of receiving that compliment. It's immediately filling them up. And we know that that does powerful things for kids. So I hope you enjoy this brain break. Uh, Let me know how it goes. And I can't wait to hear. So once you've introduced this idea of circumlocution and you've given them that activity of, okay, how can we say bear without saying bear? Find more opportunities to do that. When you hear that como se dice, can you take that time to pause and go clase, mm, circunloquio. I remember one of my favorite memories, I was being observed by my principal when I was teaching kindergarten years ago, eight years or something, nine years ago. And um, he came into the class and I said, clase, uh-oh, no soy unicornio, circunloquio. Literally said, I'm not a unicorn, circumlocute because one of my kindergartners had asked como se dice this was late in the year I had seen my kindergartners lots I knew they had language to be able to circumlocute and I wanted to build that that early for them that early because even though most of them were circumlocuting with gestures combined with just a couple words that they knew I knew they were capable of doing it right? So I said that, and then the principal went to a a student close by and said, what does that mean? What is she saying? And he said, we're doing circumlocution, because the kids know that that's what it's called. We're doing circumlocution. It means we, we can't ask her how to say it. We have to find our own way to say it using just the language that we know. So freaking cute. So special. And I was like, oh, proud teacher moment. Like this child just explained what circumlocution was to an adult. So proud. So you start it and you find opportunities wherever you can. Another thing you can do is you can create posters. I have, um, I'll link the French and Spanish posters that I collaborated with Teachers Discovery to make. Um, They're circumlocution posters. And if you're interested in looking at those or you can make your own, the idea is you give students sentence stems to help them start to circumlocute. For example, es una cosa que, it's a thing that, Es una persona que, it's a person that. Es un lugar donde, it's a place where, right? So sentence stems that help students start to circumlocute with really important language like thing, place, person, job, material, object, right? Where they can use those words to start communicating about something that they just don't know the word for yet. And that, I think, is the really important last piece to creating that culture of risk-taking. Building in time all the time to circumlocute, to practice that art of circumlocution. Because I know your next question is, well, then do you give them the word bear? Well, yeah. But after they've done the work to circumlocute at first, because then that word is so much more sticky as well. And it proves in the power of high-frequency words and language acquisition over studying and learning because even if my students don't know how to say bear, they can communicate exactly what they mean to say without saying it. Because a native speaker, if they did all of those things, would then say, also? Like, is that the word you're looking for? Also? 
And that's what I do. I write up the word on the board, also. And now it's so much more sticky for them because they've done the work in advance of trying to express that without explicitly saying that word. I hope this is helpful for you. I'm really excited to hear how circumlocution is impacting your class. I think once you build this culture, you're also going to see it in their writing. It's so special when you start to see um, students for like ice cream write leche frio. Like how powerful is that? The student is not taking a second to write ice cream in English. They're circumlocuting it. They're writing leche frio. And if that bothers you, if you're like, oh my God, that's so cringy and so annoying, take a second and pause and take a breath. Because what that child is doing is really phenomenal with language. And if that frustrates you, I need you to really pause again and think about what is your goal ultimately? Is your goal communication? Because I guarantee the students in your classroom are not there because they want to be grammatically perfect in every piece of their speech. Guarantee most of them are there because they want to become successful communicators. Most of them are there because they want to be able to go into a store in their local town and understand the Spanish that's being spoken around them. Most of them are there because they want to connect with other peoples and other cultures and do so in a language that is not their own. And the only way we are going to get the numbers in our AP, our 3-4 AP programs, to match the numbers in our levels one and two programs is if we are building and encouraging a culture of risk-taking in our classrooms where students are celebrated and success is inevitable for every child. That's what my friend John Bracey says, and I think it's so powerful. We want success to be inevitable. And building a culture of risk-taking in your classes where any kind of attempt to speak in the target language is celebrated and praised, that's how we do it. That's how we ensure that students stay in our language programs for longer and also take other languages because they are passionate about acquiring languages and they feel empowered and they feel like they can they, because they're successful right? So, okay, that was a little rant at the end. I adore you, teacher, and I'm so grateful that you are listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for doing what you do day after day with your students. I can't wait to hear how this is impacting you. Please send this to a teacher who would love to hear it, who needs to hear it. Please send it to them so that they can start implementing these ideas with their students and can start reaping the rewards of doing so. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. Until then, I will be teaching La Vida Loca, and I am sure you will be too. Hey there, teacher. If you're still listening, it means that you must like me a little bit. I'm so grateful for you. I think you are awesome. I want to make sure that you are signed up to receive my weekly emails. Sometimes I send two. Sometimes I don't send any. Sometimes I miss a week. I'll be honest. But 
These emails are filled with juicy goodness, tons of tips, tricks, inspiration, sometimes even resources that you can use immediately the next day in your classroom. If you'd like to receive this inspiration to your inbox, please make sure and click the link in my show notes so that you can start receiving this directly to your email and hopefully it will brighten your day each and every time you receive one. I'm so grateful for you. Thanks for continuing to listen. Thanks for sharing and I'll talk to you next week. Take care.